your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, man. This is a team effort. Ten, five, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just gotta play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball! Hello, sports movie lovers, and thank you for downloading the 131st and final edition, the final show of Scoring at the Movies. We review sports films from the past, and we spoil them. I'm a lonely lunk who's living in the past and who's got to be around. A legend, despite losing 23 times in his career, Baby Rocky Ryan Ellis. And here's the hazardous champion who's 33-0, and but has never called people creepo, nor thought that was actually a great insult, Chris DiGregorio. It's not a bad insult. It's not a great one, though. It's not great either. But thank okay. you, Ryan. You know, I've got this beast inside of me, and I feel like it's got to come out one last time. The so, stuff in the basement? The stuff in the basement. I kind of left some stuff in the basement, too. I came by your place, saw the pull-up bar out front, tried to bang out a few, got stuck on the first rep, and just hung there for a while. <laughs> but here we are. I'm feeling pumped up and ready to go for this, the final round. Another Rocky movie. This means we have covered... I should have wrote this down. <laughs> well, all but the first one from the original six. That's right. Because Bev and I did that for the other podcast, Have You Ever Seen? And then you and I did Creed 2, but Bev and I did the first Creed, and neither of us, none of us, have covered Creed 3. Although right. I did see it and did enjoy it. But this has been the Rocky podcast. I've got some numbers on that at the end. Okay. We'll talk about the podcast at large at the end of this episode because this is the final time. So Rocky Six or Rocky Balboa. Which was supposed to be Stallone's swan song, by the way. He really meant it to be that way, although I did love the way they used him in Creed, and even in Creed 2. I know this was meant to be his swan song Mm -hmm. movie when it was produced. It's a great swan song, I think. I think so, too. But he subsequently wrote a seventh Rocky movie. There is even bits of the script floating around, and I think some screen testing and stuff. If you dig around online, you can find it. We like Stallone's turn in the Creed movies. Right? Love his turn in those movies. I yeah. think he's better in those two than he is in any of these ones. Yeah, but I think it works because he doesn't come back in the ring. Whereas had he produced a seventh Rocky movie, he would have fought again. A few years later, he would have fought again, and he just would have ruined the beauty of this one, right? <laughs> we had a flood. There's more stuff in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> or wait, is that grudge match? Is that what Rocky Seven turned he into? He did do grudge match. That's right. That was seven years after this with De Niro in 2013. We were yeah. going to cover that if we kept in the podcast this year and beyond. We would have covered it this year because that means yeah. ten years old. No great loss. And against De Niro, the other most famous boxer in history, I guess, for only one movie, but still. That's right. That's right. Bowl for De Niro, which you're not a fan of. And of course, I covered that with Bev, too, on the other podcast. And The Hustler, and Pride of the Yankees, and League of Their Own, and Bull Durham, which is why we never covered him on this podcast. Some of those films, my personal opinion, isn't too high on. Raging Bull being top of that list. Right. But I always acknowledge that these are very highly thought of, very beloved movies by people. So, yeah, they're worth talking about. But like you said, that road was already hoed by you guys once. No need to do it a second time. Raging Bull would have been an interesting podcast to do, though, because you don't like it very much. Some of the most interesting ones that we've done, for me anyway, in conversation, have been the ones that we've not seen eye to eye on. Mystery Alaska, for me, was a lot of fun to talk about because I hated it so much. I thought it was okay. I feel like there's probably no movie that we've talked about that you loved and I hated. I feel like the biggest disparity is maybe you were okay about it and I really hated it. But still, that's where you can talk about interpretation. You had one interpretation of what the director was wanting to come across. This is true. And I didn't see it that way. Or if I did, I thought it was a cheap route to an end or something like that. But I think you're right. I think A Raging Bull would have been the ultimate version of that because that is a movie you legitimately... I think you love it, right? If it, I, love is strong, but I think it's a great film. And okay. there's such technique there. I watched Taxi yes. Driver again this week. I've seen that so many times. 
And even then, when he was still so young, Scorsese and De Niro, for that matter. Sure. It's maybe the most, well, entertaining is a strong way to put it, but one of the most entertaining movies the two of them ever made together. Mm-hmm. But Raging Bull is thought of by critics and a lot of snooty people, and people in general, as their best movie. It's not my favorite of their movies, but I haven't seen it in a while, and I would again. Would have been a good discussion, but anyway. If you want to hear it, go to Have You Ever Seen, back when Bev and I were the top one at her project. Before I introduce this, though, you should probably open up whichever beverage you're going to do, either the pop or the beer, which is going to be first there. I was going to make a cocktail for this. I'm like, let's go out with something fancy here, yeah. right? Surely there's a Rocky Balboa cocktail, a specific one. Or short neck, even, which is what he drinks in this. Oh, that would have been a good, a good one. I don't think they sell them anymore, at least not in Canada. Sure be. Anyway, I looked up the cocktail recipes. There's only one cocktail that's not, let's just take an existing cocktail and mix an egg in it, and that'll be the Rocky. That makes sense that they do I'm that, not though. drinking a rye egg for this. No, but that makes sense. Yeah. But the only thing that didn't do that, it was, for some reason, a combination of absinthe, mezcal, a few other weird... The Rocky Balboa? Yeah, I didn't get it. It was featured on a couple of different websites, so it wasn't one person's idea, but... For Robert Balboa Sr., I should say? I know. <laughs> I kind of thought I might make a Campari and soda or Negroni or something, because at least it's Italian. But you know what? At the end of the day, I had a cherry whiskey sour in a can, and that's mm. what we're going with. So and not you... quite a beer, but it's a cocktail nonetheless. And you don't drink alcohol much anymore, so this is a special occasion. This is a bit of a celebratory canned cocktail for this. Yeah. You might have heard me drinking water a minute ago. I already had my beverages for the night, and I do have to work in a few hours, so... I would toast you. Well, I'll toast you anyway. Let's do a toast for the Cheers. last one. Nobody heard that. Clank. <laughs> clink, clink. The Evian bottle does not make noise. Okay, so Rocky Balboa, or Rocky Six was released by MGM 16 and a half years ago on December 20th, wow. 2006. The film did very well. It cost about 24 million smackers to make and went on to grow six times the budget worldwide, wow. which is probably why anyone thought about making other ones, whether it be the one you oh, talked yeah. about, that screenplay. Or the Creed films. That's $155 million for a $24 million budget. I'm, I'm a little surprised that the budget was that low. You're not having like a ton of visual effects necessarily. He, he couldn't but, get a budget for movies anymore. He was not the guy in 2006. That's true. He was doing a lot of low-grade, action-y movies at that point. Get Carter and stuff like mm. that. That was a theater movie, I believe. It was, it was. And but then Rambo was after this. This stuff came out right in my heyday of movie going. In that period of 10 or 15 years when I was seeing almost everything that came into the theater and really paying attention to movies a lot more than I've, other than this podcast, been doing in recent years. Which is the point of the podcast. Exactly. Going back to the movies you saw when you were younger. That's right. But back when Rambo came out, he talked about that character being an older, broken down, beast of burden version of Rambo. Not meant to be skinny, lithe, and dancing through the forest anymore, but just a brute force, violent entity, right? He was bulked up more for that role, but you can kind of see he was already in training, clearly, by the time this movie came out. Granted, your body changes with age just naturally. You get a little bit wider, I think, as a human being as you get older. But he is so much bulkier and wider as a human being it almost looks like it's watching a different fighter in the ring it's wild yeah. to me well didn't he get busted for human growth hormones and this is probably why oh, surely, making this yeah. movie and they also shot the boxing scenes first because he had to bulk up first and directing and acting this well directing especially he was not gonna be able to keep that shape so they did that first oh, okay. and I apparently didn't... they shot the boxing scenes in vegas before a real fight or a real fight sir i guess and I read, I thought I read that the people had to be told, can you please cheer for Stallone? Because he was, persona non grata. But then I read <laughs> really? online this time, so maybe this was always true, that no, they didn't have to tell them, chant Rocky. And they did, or at least cheer for him. They did. Really? Organically. So the two actors did the stuff in the ring. You can tell the video is different because they used the HD, I guess, video. They did, But yeah. most of the movies, of course, ordinary. I think still film. We weren't really looking at digital 
in 2006 the way it's become standard now. Right. And Stallone did that so it would make more sense with that kind of footage that people have. And you see that referee. I've seen him do actual boxing matches. He's a legit referee. Now, Michael yeah. Buffer, of course, who had never worked in the Rocky movies before, is the ring announcer. Let's get ready to rumble. You see the guy with the weird mustache that does yeah. a few of them at the weigh-in? I don't think he That's does right. anything else. You just see Stallone pat him on the chest like, hey, thanks for coming. That's one thing this movie does really well is try to set. I think you know, all for, the Rocky movies did. All the Rocky movies Stallone was very loyal to these guys and women. By the time this movie came out, I was at least familiar. I was never a huge boxing fan, but at least familiar with the big names in sportdom, right? So when you see Michael Buffer in the middle of the ring, you're like, oh, I know that guy. And Tyson in the crowd. And Why did you include that, guys? Having Tyson chirp Mason Dixon. I'm like, okay. I mean, it was fun, but I don't know why they did it. But even the ring announcers, these are all real sports announcers. Yes, a lot of real ESPN people. Burt Sugar, he's legitimate. Yeah, and Dan, what's his name? He was actually the same guy that played a cop in the remake of The Longest Yard. He's one of the ring announcers. So they do a lot of good stuff to set this in reality. And I was watching this fight so closely because I was curious. It looked really good. The crowd work and stuff, this is not the heyday of Rocky. And even though I didn't know it was only a $24 million budget, I knew this didn't have the same cachet as Rocky 20 years prior had. So were they able to fill a stadium with extras or something? But it makes sense that they would have done it before a real fight. The end sequence in the arena, when Rocky is walking off with Robert, and then Robert turns him around to walk back out with his arms up to say hey to the crowd. Do you think that was scripted, or was that just the crowd chanting, and he just legit turned around and said thank you all one last time? Well, they probably scripted the part about Robert take one last final bow. But I don't think the crowd had to be prompted to cheer him. They did anyway. And also, they apparently shot multiple endings where Rocky won, which is illogical. Like I complained about in Rocky 2, which I like a lot. I just don't buy the ending. It works, like you said in Rocky 2. We covered that a few years ago. Sure. Was it last year? I think it was last year when I was 40 years old. It makes sense from the standpoint of making a movie where he doesn't lose again. Yes. Now, Scorsese might have made that movie. He had made Raging Bull before that. And I think I said that Marty would have made the first Rocky or something like that and then into maybe the middle of Rocky Two when Rocky's broke and illiterate and just has to get by now. That's the kind of movie that guy would have made. Sure. Yeah. But of course, if you're going to make the movie, you really should win. I didn't really buy it, though. I don't really buy some of the Rock'em Sock'em stuff in this. Although a friend of mine told me years ago <laughs> that that's what boxers really can do. I mean, just Especially at the end of the fight when it's just throwing punches constantly. But it's yeah. not just the end of the fight they do that. It's almost always at the end of a round. I don't know anything about boxing, but I didn't think that looked all that legitimate. Although a lot of the boxing in this is good. But the notion that they even had an ending where he would have won is stupid. But apparently it was that he won by decision. And of course, what ends up happening is that it's a split decision. But the champion, Mason, the line, Dixon, does win. They ended it the right way. The first movie ends on decision. I think it was a split decision too, but Apollo does win that first fight. That's why he wants the fight in Rocky II. I won, but I didn't beat him. So you end it the right way. He again loses to a black champion. And it makes perfect sense to talk about coming full circle. Well, let's do the nutshell right now then, by the way, because this young man who's 33-0, and 0, but nobody respects him because we see right off the bat him getting booed by people, which is really not fair. There's only so much he can do. I guess maybe because he has no passion. He doesn't make people want to believe. How many boxers have ever done that anyway? I don't yeah. think Rocky Marciano, me and the real guy, what they talk about in this movie, was somebody like that either, for example. But here's the nutshell for Rocky Balboa, my last ever nutshell with you. Want to gain the respect of boxing fans who think you're a bum? Beat up a senior citizen. <laughs> It's true. He's supposed to be 60. Yeah. It's kind of hilarious to think that that was the whole hook of this movie, because you're absolutely right. That is the nutshell. If you can look past the absurdity of, like you said, earning the respect of the boxing public by beating up a senior citizen who had been retired. Barely. Barely. Who had been retired from the sport for decades Mm -hmm. at this point. 
we've bounced back somewhat in boxing since this point, but this was the nadir of heavyweight boxing when everybody was looking at the sport and saying, is it just dead? There's so little interest compared to the 80s and 90s. And the Ali days, of course. And then the really early days, 100 years ago. Oh, sure. You go way further back. But so little interest, so little talent, and so few people watching. That's one of the things I really like about this movie is it puts it in a time and a place, right? But nonetheless, all of Rocky's movies are in a time and a place. So if you're going to do it, do it accurately. And I think they do that well. And I think as cheesy as the renderings look now, because obviously technology's come a long way... This was that same period of time when 3D games are starting to look okay, computers are starting to simulate stuff. And so mixing those two concepts that, hey, we've got a heavyweight champion who is not respected despite being 33-0 and mm-hmm. because the sport as a whole is not earning the respect it once did. And we've got this new technology that allows us to play what-ifs. That was happening in the mid-aughts. And so it plays well. I kind of would have liked it a little bit more if it wasn't such a close split decision because it's 95-94, 94 95-94, 95-94. was way better than him in this fight. He really was. Especially the first couple rounds. Yeah. Split decision I'm okay with in a loss, but I would have liked the scoring to be a little bit more lopsided in favor of Mason Dixon. But that said, if you're going to try to make the argument that Rocky hangs with this guy, and if you're going to believe that, you have to, A, buy into the Rocky character just being the brick hit house, right? Just Which like he always was. Always was. Just the force of will guy. And I think the movie does a good job of setting that up for new viewers. He did build those cast iron hurting bombs. He really did. We have so much to say about that <laughs> montage. I love it so much. But on top of that, and these are elements of it that I always forget until I rewatch the movie. And I've seen this movie at least 10 times at this point. <laughs> I really, really like this. I one. watched this a few months ago. We did Rocky Five, which I yeah. like more than you and more than most people. <laughs> I, re- I watched this after that, too. I think it was a day or two later. So I've seen yeah. it twice in, I don't know, three months. I think I texted you when I rewatched this after Rocky Five. I'm like, I need to cleanse my palate. The same way. Yeah. By the way, I said after for level of the game, I think I had to see Bull Durham again soon. I yeah. watched it that night. <laughs> you did. You texted me that. Yeah. yeah, palate cleansers, right? Leaving aside what we know of Rocky as a fighter and a person, Mason Dixon comes in out of shape. And he doesn't look spectacular in this right, movie, right? That's true. And the ring announcers say he doesn't look like his peak shape. So, okay, you're already chalking up a little bit of an edge for Rocky there. And then you have Mason Dixon throw a punch against Rocky's hip bone, it looks like, breaks and his breaks hand, his hand. Yeah. Left hand, I think it is. Yeah. yeah, so they numb it up, and you have, was it Burt Sugar or whoever, say, once the numbing stuff sets in, he'll be able to throw heavy punches again, but until then, it's on Rocky. And then you have the fight swing Rocky's way right. when Mason Dixon is fighting one-handed. They found some clever and believable ways to give Rocky some edges so that the fight is not close for unbelievable reasons. Mm-hmm. So I'll give it that. But then, like I said off the top, I still would have just preferred it if it was a slightly more believable edge to Mason Dixon, because he is 33-0, and 0. he's the reigning heavyweight champ, and he's fighting a guy that hasn't stepped in a ring for 20 years, right? And who, in the fifth movie, was declared unable to box because of brain damage. Yeah. Now, you could say he was misdiagnosed, and I think Stallone has said that's what's supposed to be going on here. Yes. But the guy who played his lawyer in Rocky V that told them that Paulie signed over their power of attorney... <laughs> To a guy who stripped of all Which the, made no he, sense right? At all. We didn't like that in Rocky Five. That's always the, probably the dumbest thing in Rocky Five. But that same actor is the head of the commission. In this movie that says you pass with flying colors. Is it really? Yeah. So again, loyalty, I guess, or maybe Stallone didn't remember he was the same actor. <laughs> it's the brain damage, right? He didn't <laughs> yeah, remember. Right. So okay, they misdiagnosed him, but we saw in Rocky Five many times, especially that whole scene when Tommy drives off on Christmas Eve. You got me where I need to go. You'd be part of it or don't be part of it. Oh, man, we're home team. Oh, Adrian. He's not you. That whole thing. Yeah. 
multiple times in the film, including after he finishes fighting Drago. I can't stop my hand shaking. That's right. He had problems. Even if they misdiagnosed him, something was wrong with him. I guess that could go away, but I don't believe that this guy would have healed that way. He wasn't taking hits anymore. You gotta learn to take the hits. <laughs> Another great speech. Maybe the greatest speech in the entire series. It's pretty great, yeah. But I don't buy that either. Partly because they just whitewash it. There's a few elements. To squeak by. Okay. Flying colors? Yeah, they really overdid that. I always think there's more information in that hearing where they say there was a mistake or misdiagnosis, but you're right. They don't address it at all, except to say, congratulations, Mr. Balboa, the battery of tests, you pass with flying colors. Their previous movie, which he wants to disavow, Stallone hates that movie more than anybody, probably, Rocky V. Doesn't include anything reference to it in this, except for the home team thing. He does say that once to his son. Otherwise, nothing really from Rocky V is in this. Yeah. But it's still part of canon for you to pretend that he didn't have these problems that we saw. I don't care what a doctor says to him at all. This man shouldn't be probably jumping up and down in a bed, let alone having somebody hit him. The handshaking stuff is the most damning element of all of it, right? Is because we saw those physical symptoms. He's losing nervous system control and stuff. So That didn't continue in Rocky V, actually. It was just more of the fact that he had these severe headaches. But that's how the movie opens in right. Rocky V, right? It's Which was po- a very vivid post-fight scene. Post-fight with Drago. Very honest scene. We agreed. One of the better moments in mm-hmm. all of Rocky V. Yep. So you're right. There's some damage there, and you can heal up, and you can come back. I don't think it's unforgivable for a movie maker or something to say Rocky V didn't happen. That's like, what he's doing. You're right, then. You're with Stallone. I guess I am, except I don't think he's doing that in this movie. Like I think the whole reason they have that sequence with the boxing commission, rather than just have Rocky come away and say, hey, I got my papers all signed up, the reason they have the sequence with the commission and the speech and all that is Stallone saying, look... We know Rocky V happened, but Rocky took new medical tests and he passed them with flying colors, and here's the proof of that. But they still don't want to sanction him, though. No, they don't, right? That must mean that Dixon's people paid them off. You know what? I never really read it that way, but you might be right. I guess that's probably open to interpretation as to whether or not the passion of Rocky's speech won them over. That's what the movie's saying, but I'm thinking of something else. You might not be wrong about that. I'm trying to remember the specific sequence of events. At the point when we see that Rocky got his, whatever they call it, discretionary sanctioning or something, was that prior to us seeing the sequence when Mason Dixon's people are trying to convince him to fight Rocky, or was it after? Well, they had the computer fight, and then he goes to Robert and says, think about fighting. Yeah. I think the tests come later, and I think the scene later where LC and Lou go to the restaurant, well, before that they talk to mason to convince him to fight but then they go to the restaurant to talk to rocky as well i forget the exact order the one thing the rocky movies never did we've said this on other rocky podcasts there's never swearing yeah which in any sports movie is disingenuous because i'm sure all athletes (laughs) swear a lot as they're probably homophobic and racist or at least they used to be maybe they're not anymore and probably misogynistic as well okay fine but they don't ever do those things there's never drugs only rocky five ever has a crooked promoter and even he is not that crooked really No, not really and they don't have this kind of thing where it's payoffs If that's what's happened here, I'm speculating. It is interesting to think about it from that lens, right? Because Rocky is, for a guy that comes from lower class, uneducated, he's an enforcer for a low-grade mobster in Philly in the 70s, and yet he is the most wholesome human being on the planet. The appeal of the character is that anybody can find themselves in certain life circumstances and that doesn't necessarily dictate who you are as a person and you can maybe rise above those circumstances if you push yourself and he did and he did so that's kind of the fairy tale of this this whole series doesn't really portray some of the seedier slash perhaps more realistic elements of sport especially in the 70s and 80s raging bull did a lot of that raging bull and that's part of the reason i don't really love raging bull is because for all of its technical expertise it's just 
no fun to watch. Okay. For me, a movie like this, you can't. It's really, entirely fun to watch. It's entirely fun to watch because you feel good by the end of it. You get a lot of great rousing moments throughout. For a movie that centers around a 60 year old man as the physical centerpiece of it, every time I watch it, I'm shocked at how many moments of physicality and emotion you get out of it. You already mentioned there's at least one or two great speeches, mm. which is separate, but the training montages, the running. Mm. It's really well done. I think of all the Rocky movies, you can't really have nostalgia in Rocky 1, obviously. But by the right. time you get here, this movie strikes the best balance for me between slightly corny nostalgia and pure heartfelt emotion. I thought the opening sequence was very touching, and I was glassy I did a lot of it. I don't yeah. know why exactly. I got picturing maybe if I was ever in the position of having to mourn my wife and what I pine like he is. It means, me too. Yeah. It seems like it's every year they do this. Robert didn't want to go this year. Right. Maybe he doesn't always go anyway, but it seems like he may have gone in the past, not this time. But why does Polly feel obliged? I guess because you have to have somebody to talk to. That's the movie answer. That's Otherwise, you'd have no scene. Rocky can't talk to himself. But I was very affected by that. Of course, I've seen the movie many times. Maybe I was getting nostalgic for the podcast ending. I don't know. But I was having a hard time holding it together. And maybe yeah. because Stallone at his best... I know there are people out there that never liked him at all. Pauline Kael, I think, hated his guts. She was a very respected film critic, but she really didn't like people. When she didn't like people, she hated them. When he's at his best, he is a very emotional actor and a yes. very sympathetic actor. Yep. And the opening of this movie is a great example of that. So many touches. I love the fact that he's, again, talking like Rocky did in the first two movies. He didn't do it in three and four when he went corporate. The way he talks, doesn't understand things. Oh, Jamaica, yeah, Europe, or whatever. <laughs> About where Steps is, or Steps' father's, father's yeah. from. And some other touches to the way he talks. It's back. That's the way he always was before until he went corporate. And the movies I definitely enjoy, three and four. Of all the movies I would want to just throw in the player, I know it's weird to say this because two and three and four all have their pluses, as does one. And I enjoy five more than other ones. The Creed movies have been very good. Mm -hmm. I might be tempted if somebody said, pick one to watch the rest of your life. It might be this one. I can't believe I'm saying that, but having seen it twice this year alone, I really buy into that stuff, including some yeah. of the cheesy stuff. And there's a lot of cheesy, corny stuff in this. I might not argue with you about that, too. And I say that having watched not just this one twice recently. I watched the entire series before we did Rocky Five again. So I watched the good four first. And then that was just this year, then. Okay. That was just this year. Rocky One is maybe still my favorite. I'm always reminded what a great piece of filmmaking it is. That's true of two as well. I just have a little bit more of a heartfelt love of one than I do for Most two. people do. If we cycle back to the mission statement of the podcast, revisiting old movies and seeing how your impression of them has changed, right? And this is obviously a movie that came out later than the 80s, than what I had in mind when I first pitched that idea to you. But Had you seen all the... Idea. The idea. <laughs> idea. How many Rocky movies had you seen when you saw this in 2006? Oh, I saw all of them. You had, okay. Yeah, I'd I, seen them all many times, so I knew them probably better than you did at the time. I was a big fan of this franchise, basically, from the moment I saw the first okay. movie of it, which was probably like a television rerun of Rocky Three or Four when that hit okay. TV after a movie run. And you loved this one in the theater? I liked it a lot in the theater, but the reason I mentioned how do movies change for you as time progresses? Yes. So I was 25. Certainly not married at that point. No. Did not have the perspective on loss or life generally as I do now. My perspective on things has continued to change. So watching this, I'm like you. That opening sequence, not just he lost Adrian, as sad as that is as a married man now, that hit me. But good God, I think you and I are on the same page that Polly's never been our favorite character no. in this series. But the more I watch this movie, the more I like his character in this movie for his emotional pathos. And that moment when he says, I can't do this anymore, yeah. you're right. He doesn't necessarily have to do it every year except to be there for Rocky and has a sense of brotherly responsibility mm -hmm. for his lost sister. When he says, breaking down, 
you had the good times, I treated her bad. I don't have to remember that every year. Rocky, I think, responds correctly. You know, she always loved you, Paul, the kind of stuff. Yeah. But I get it. I wish I had done things differently when this person is alive, and I can't change it now. And now you're making me relive all of my regrets and sadness every year. Oh, my God. That hit me so hard, this viewing, for whatever reason. I only suspect that as we get older and age towards... It's going to touch us even more. It's going to touch us even more, mm-hmm. because you talk about a movie selection for the last movie of this podcast. Rocky has several times in this movie, and notably in that speech to the Boxing Commission. You know, the older I get, the more I gotta leave behind. That's life. I can't change that. I get that too now, in recent years. you're only 42. You're not that old yet. No, but we are both, I think, at that age now where you do have to start realizing it's life, right? It ends, and you have to look forward to different things, and that's just the way it is. We kind of talked about this with Billy Chappell having to accept that his career is ending, and what is accepting that and looking towards the future while still honoring and remembering what he loved about the stuff that came before. So as a movie to do for the end of this podcast, this has to be the one for any number of different reasons, mm-hmm. like obviously our Rocky fandom notwithstanding. When we agreed to end this, I think it was back in the midwinter, I said to you, I thought I wanted to at least take a break in the summer. Yeah. And you said maybe just put a bow on the whole thing. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, well then let's go till, well, June 7th, we started in 2005 years ago, 18. That was a Thursday, of course. Well, that's a Wednesday this year. Let's aim for Wednesday, June the 7th. As five years later, and then the movie I thought, even though we just covered Rocky Five, I think a week or two before I had this idea yeah, that's right, of taking yeah. a break, and then as it turned out to end the podcast, it has to be Rocky Balboa. We liked the movie a lot. The critics did too. I think it's some of the best numbers on Rotten Tomatoes of any of the movies in this series. Maybe not so much the Creeds. They did very well, I think. But 77% of the Rotten Tomatoes critics like the film. 6.5 out of 10 is the average. There are 183 reviews on the site, and 76% of audiences right in line with the critics. It was 38th at the box office that year. We've covered a lot of movies from 2006. Casino Royale was 9th. Talladega Nights, one of our first ones, was 12th. Invincible was 55th. And Glory Road was 72nd. I like all those movies. And we did say on Invincible and Glory Road, they didn't do very well at the box office, unlike this and certainly unlike Casino Royale and Talladega Nights, partly because we think they weren't really well promoted by Disney of all people. Yeah, I know. This was pretty well promoted. I remember seeing a lot of ads for this and thought, yep. I'll go see that on the big screen. I don't think I've ever seen a Rocky movie on the big screen. No, I hadn't. So I made sure to see this. I've seen all of the... No, I didn't see Creed 2 on the big screen. When we saw that for the podcast, neither of us had ever seen it at all before. It wasn't That's like right. a matter of, I'll find it at the library and then we'll watch it again. We'd never seen it, period. One more thing to mention about the plaudits and whatnot is not a plaudit. Burt Young was nominated for a Worst Supporting Actor at the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. What? For this? Really? Yeah. I think it's got to be the middle stuff. I agree with you that the opening sequence when they're touring around the places that Rocky went with Adrian was pretty effective, obviously more so from Stallone's standpoint, but even from Burt Young. And the stuff at the end, the kissing him, I love you, Rock, now get the stuff out of the basement, whatever he says before they go out to the ring. That was pretty good. Let it be done kind of stuff. Not quite as effective as Rocky IV. If I could step out and be anybody else, I'd be you. You're all hot, Rock. I like that even more in Rocky IV. But the middle stuff, when he's being racist unnecessarily, do I look like a freaking Indian? And when he sees Steps leave, oh, you better count the silverware and some of the things he's saying. He's just annoying. Now, when he gets laid off, which is a nice tie-in, by the way, to Rocky, who got laid off in that same meat plant decades before, they're cutting back in Rocky II. That's why he has to say, I want to fight again. I got nothing else, and I ain't got a job anymore. They lay Paulie off after all these years. We don't hear it. We just see what goes on. He goes to the restaurant that night with a banged up eye what happened to your eye what happened to your eye a chunk of meat apparently right he's going well I think he just bought it I don't know if they gave it to him well anyway what happened to your eye I hit it why had to I can relate to that too the whole notion behind I'm going to hit myself because I feel like I deserve it right now 
Yeah, I wondered about that. I don't agree that Burt Young deserved any kind of Razzie-esque nomination for this. That feels a little harsh. I do agree. That middle sequence is a little rough. I wonder if Stallone felt like, even if things like, do you have a reservation? Do I look like a freaking Indian kind Mm -hmm. of commentary? Like Even in 06, that was a little bit of an eyebrow raising. That's a line you're including in this movie. But But the guy's racist, though. Look him in Rocky, too. Exactly. That's what I'm wondering. Did Sloane feel like it's just true to the character as we've established it? I don't like these people. Maybe they don't like you either, Rocky. That's right. Rocky Pauly. Yeah. The stuff with the, why'd you punch yourself in the eye after being laid off? Why is he so mad at himself? And when he walks into the restaurant, into Adrian's with the chunk of meat, he's also got a pile of paintings, right? Because earlier in the movie, we see him painting Mm. at work. Was he just a terrible employee for however many decades? And they just finally said enough is enough. That's why he's mad at himself, because he thinks if he'd worked a little harder, he would have been fired. Maybe correctly. He did say he was going to be late for work by watching the computer fight on TV. Maybe it was a habit with him. And look how much he drinks all the time. Yeah. He does have a pretty good coda, actually, in the first Creed. I don't know if you see him in the other Creed movies, but we don't see him. But you see his gravestone beside Adrian's at the beginning of Creed. There are plenty of touches in Creed. You see the restaurant and whatnot. Who won that fight to you and Apollo? The one no one saw. You did. So they do acknowledge the other films and whatnot. But anyway, you see Paulie's gravestone beside Adrian's. And when Rocky goes to the grave in that movie, in the first Creed, he pours liquor on the grave. Yeah, that's So right. a fitting thing that Paulie's beside his sister and he gets liquor poured on him. Hey, yeah. a little bit of a beverage from above. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. That's a nice touch. Stallone definitely pays homage to what came before and recognizes not just the broad strokes of what came before, but like you just described, these kind of smaller touches that unless you as a viewer are pretty invested in the franchise, you might not recognize the significance of that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why I forgive some of the silliness in this movie around Paulie, because frankly, from his worst stuff in the prior movies, I've just come to expect it. So when he doesn't quite hit as low a bar as I'm expecting him to, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm not going to say he's giving a sterling performance here. I think of all the main roles in this movie, his performance is maybe the worst. I think Milo Ventimiglia, for the most part, does a fairly solid job of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to include Antonio Tarver in this because he's an actual boxer. He's, he's never acted again besides this, too. He's fine in the movie. I'm still surprised no one else ever cast him in anything again. He's yeah. at least solid. You've got the actor whose name I don't know that plays Connie. Who's Marie? the uh, Marie? That's it. I'm thinking Creepo. Yeah, Marie. Yeah, Geraldine Hughes. She's fine too, but she doesn't have a ton to do. She sounds like Talia Shire through a lot of movie, very quiet and same kind of tone of voice. And also, she has two inspirational speeches to Rocky. And I wondered when they did this movie before I saw it, I thought, how's he ever going to fight? Because I knew he was going to. You saw the scenes in the trailers. Sure. How could he ever box? Because he doesn't have Adrian to go on the beach and tell him, "You got to do it for you." Or in Rocky Two, win. Yeah. Or Rocky Four, showing up in Russia. How's he ever going to fight? Well, now he's got a replacement woman. And it looks like he maybe will have a romance with her, although we don't ever hear about her in the Creed films. But look how chaste this is. Typical for Rocky, as much passion as he had for Adrian and passion as he had for boxing and for his friends, they're very unsexy movies. Even the Creed films are with those good-looking actors. Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson are still... There's a little more heat with those two, but not much. And with Geraldine Hughes and Stallone. I like what they do with them, actually, in this movie. I think Stallone did a good job with her. And it's a very gentle, if you will, romance that's brewing with the two of them. It's only been a matter of months that they've known each other or re-known each other because he saw her when she was a kid and she said, screw yeah. you, creepo. <laughs> Great insults last a long time. <laughs> Great insult. But she's, I think, at least pretty good in the movie. The yeah. thing, is nothing wrong with the actor, what's his name, James Francis Kelly, who plays Steps, did not act much at all. It was only in a few movies. So I'm not criticizing him, but the way they write him, 
One of my favorite things in the whole film is in the big fight when you see him say, let's start moving those hands. <laughs> what does that I'm mean? glad you showed up, Steps. You contribute nothing to this. That's why they're both in there is to move those hands. <laughs> and even the training sequences, both the sons, the surrogate son, Steps, and his actual son, Robert, are just there to be there. They just Although nod they each nod other. each other. And then you see them back behind him. Even Paulie's helping out. He lets him in the meat locker to pound the meat. Great call back to the first movie. And Duke is actually training him. And those other guys are helping him with the weights. But the yeah. two sons are not really doing anything. They just stand around. And they get to go to Vegas. Robert going makes sense. And, of course, Steps is offered a job. Rocky says yeah. to Marie, what if he needs a job? Will you work with me? And then they go get the dog. Punchy is the next scene after that. So yeah. I guess he's an employee already. Steps doesn't really have much to offer in this movie. I'm not even really sure why they felt the need to write that character in, to be honest with you. I think Stallone wanted a character for Rocky to look after. You have the scene early in the movie during the Adrian tour. Mm-hmm. He's on the steps of their old place, and he's saying, all I wanted to do was protect her, and she let me kind of stuff. Although, me. as Beth pointed out when we covered Rocky, the first one, many years ago, she says, I want to leave more than once, and he doesn't let her leave. That's one of the things in the early Rockies that doesn't age too well. They say no, but they really mean yes. If you take his speech in this movie at face value and accept that 50 years ago things played differently... He had honest intentions, and he just wanted to look after, and he really loved this woman. Maybe 30 years, but still, I get your point. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking modern day, but you're right. It is almost 50 years ago, that's right. At the time of this release, it would have been 30. Okay, so fast forward to 06 and Rocky Balboa. He's got now Marie grown up. You know, when I first saw this movie in the theater, I did read it. They're having a gentle and maybe slow burny kind of early romance here. But in recent rewatches, I don't think that's the thing. I think it's more... She's almost like a replacement. Well, she is a replacement for Adrian, but... Adrian, too. Yeah. And she works at Adrian's restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, she does. But not in a romantic sense. You even have him say... Even though they kiss in Vegas? Yeah, I didn't read that as a kiss, though. I know she kisses him on or near the lips, but it's almost like a daughter kissing the father goodbye kind of stuff. Or You know, she didn't say what was thinking. She was thinking, kiss it, kiss it! Because <laughs> the other thing I love in the sequence, you see everyone talking when Rocky's fighting Mason. Win it, win it! <laughs> Sorry. That's like a bit of a goofy line delivery and zoom in on her. Yeah. And that When he tells her, Adrian's gone, but she's not gone, gone. You know what Still I mean? Stallone's his wedding ring. I think in movie parlance, if Stallone wanted us to believe that Marie was taking over that true romantic place of Adrian and Rocky's heart at any point, you would have seen him have a moment, maybe at his dresser or something, when he puts the wedding ring in a dish or You're something. You're right, that's true. That's usually sort of... Because the, these movies are not subtle. They really beat you over the head with their emotional beats, so and effectively, I might add, but mm. they do beat you over the head with it. He gets to provide that custodianship or protection or whatever you want to say to somebody who is a little bit more vulnerable than he is. He gives her a job. He looks after her kid, but he also physically stands up to some of those goons outside the bar. I think he says she's a whore. The guy, maybe it's one of the girls, but somebody yells something about Marie. It's usually at Rocky, that whole sequence, but something is about her, and it's definitely not a nice thing. That's why I think he says it's not all right. As much as Rocky's always the good guy at heart, I got to protect the women in my life more than anything else, right? But all that being said, this oh, is Oh, by what, the way, quick thing. Yeah. The character he plays, and maybe it's not the actress's fault, but Angie. Oh, my God. She's so bad. Who's Angie? The one who comes up and says, you ain't better than me. Oh, You her. think you're better than me? Yeah. Are you better than me? You ain't better than me. I'm a person. Are you better than me? Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, too. She's very annoying, but I bet you there's people that do crap like Probably, that at bars. Yeah. I like at the end, though, how she stands up. Whatever that dog Shut said. up. That guy's going to lose. Shut up. When it comes to steps, what role does he have in this movie except to just exist? 
Yeah. And I wonder if there was a thought at some point, maybe it got cut out at some point in editing. I wonder if there was almost more of a surrogate son thing going on there. Maybe there's more sequences with Stallone and Steps and Robert that sees this sense. happening and there's a jealousy angle and maybe Stallone said, oh, then that undercuts the emotional thrust of be. their reconnection. That makes some sense, yeah. Also, by the way, Sage Stallone played his son in the fifth one and he was did. still alive. He's died since, but he was still alive. He was could he? have been in this, but I guess Sly thought the literal scene where he says, some big shadow. It's part of Rocky Five, obviously, but he's still just a little kid. He's, I don't know, 12 years old in that movie. Now he's a grown man at the time of Rocky Balboa, and I guess that's why he didn't want to put him through that. And yeah. then he casts somebody who's probably a better actor. Milo Ventimiglia is a professional actor. I don't think Stage Stallone ever was. He was in his father's movie. He's not bad in Rocky Five for a kid. He's got a lot of screen time in that movie. Yeah. But that's why they use Milo in this. Okay, so the red letter scenes are the speech outside the restaurant with Robert and Rocky. I guess they're both Robert, really. And, of course, the let's build some hurting bombs. Yeah. Let's do the serious one first because that's one of those speeches that at this point, and I was doing it when I watched it a few days ago, I can quote verbatim in sync with him at least half of it. In one of the other Rocky movies, maybe a couple of Rocky movies, we've actually brought those lines up and we were in sync saying it and we didn't plan that. <laughs> I've heard those podcasts since we did that, but man, that's pretty good. That was not intentional. So you know it well too. I think we said that's how winning is done or something. Right. In at least once. I think we may have done that in more than one podcast really and been in sync. There's a part of me that feels a little bit bothered by that again as somebody's about 50 where it's the, if you know what you're worth, go get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits. It's not as simple as that, especially when you're talking about being a boxer and literally taking hits. He obviously means it metaphorically with somebody who works with numbers. Just throw them all away. Get in the race. Get rid of all of them. A nice Rocky touch the way he'd said that earlier in the film. <laughs> but when he just says, stop letting them tell you who you are, there is a point in jobs that you and I have and Robert has in the other part of this film where that is what you have to do. If you want to at least just keep your job, let alone get ahead. It's easy to say that as a th well, somebody who was a leg breaker, some cheap second-rate loan shark, and then the heavyweight champion of the world. But I still love the speech, even though at this point, watching at this time, it bothered me just a little bit. Part of me wants to say, screw you, old man. Screw you, creepo. <laughs> That's a good insult. Yeah. So what do you think of this? I know you like it, but what do you think of the speech? I thought almost exactly the same thing. Again, one of those things that has evolved as I've gotten older and rewatched this movie. It's the Republican in Stallone maybe coming out as well. Make your own stuff happen. Yeah, I think... You can't always do that. That's absolutely true. I think the way I choose to look at it now, as much as anything, it's a little bit more nuanced than it used to be for me. I do still very much like the speech. I think it's effective emotionally, especially when you get to the crescendo of it all. But I think Rocky sees his son using the Balboa name as an excuse, a crutch, whatever. To fail. As much as anything, it's don't use me as an excuse to not be yourself, right? That's okay, that's fair. The other element of it, what you described, I agree with you. It's not always that easy. And I wonder if 15 years ago, again, I wasn't really in much of a professional role at the age of 25 or certainly not the type of jobs I've evolved into. My interpretation of what it takes to get ahead or how corporate culture works and stuff has certainly changed since then. But when I was 25, I saw this. I'm like, yeah, suck it up, Robert. I don't really react that way, but it still hits home for me. When he's talking about taking the hits and keep moving forward, you can read that a couple of different ways, I think, too. But recent life circumstances and stuff like that, I read that differently now. It's very easy to have something in life beat you on the head emotionally or, or whatever. And want to curl up in a blanket? Yeah, under a blanket. and just say, I'm done, right? And that's not always easy to overcome. It could be a hundred different things that you're talking about when you say that. But however you want to interpret it, I think ultimately 
you can get lost in the specifics of the messaging, but does the emotion still play? Absolutely. Yes. I think the emotion still plays. Especially a father to a son. Milo Ventimiglia, as much as I think he's done a real solid job in this movie as Robert, this one scene, I don't feel like he stands up to Stallone as an acting partner. I really don't. Okay. When he says, do you think that's fair? Do you? Do you? It felt like Mr. Burns, we did 100 takes and that was the best one. <laughs> Really? I'll give you that. Yeah. It felt like a rehearsal scene. You're just reading it off the script for the first time. Kind the of scene. scene they do when Rocky first goes to him to say he wants to fight is probably better. Because yes. that's when he goes to Robert's place. The earlier scene, it felt more organic and he didn't feel like he was trying as hard as he was in this or maybe not doing the best job. And you're right. Maybe it was take one and they thought <laughs> the camera didn't work and the other ones we had to settle. I don't know. Stallone's delivery. That's how winning is done. It's so pitch perfect that maybe they felt like, well, Milo wasn't great, but Stallone really knocked it out of the park. So what are we going to do? Right. right? But you're absolutely right. The previous sequence between the two of them, from a Milo Ventimiglia perspective, felt much more organic and heartfelt. And even though it doesn't carry quite the same emotional weight. I still think in that scene when Rocky's saying, I want to fight, I'd like you to be there with me, and Robert says, oh, don't you think you're a little old and people are going to laugh at you kind of stuff? I don't have kids, but I can imagine that, yeah, if you're a father with a distant son and you're trying to reconnect and this is the way you're reaching out. And he's pushing you right back. Yeah. Almost that, like he's ashamed of you, too. Meaning yes. Robert's ashamed of Rocky. Ashamed that he would do this, not he's generally ashamed yes, of him. Yes, exactly. And fearful that, oh, people are going to laugh at you, and by virtue of that, they're going to laugh at me. Because at that point, all Rocky wants to do is just look cool. I yeah. think he means it. I don't think he thinks he's going to fight the champion. I think he's being entirely sincere when he says, I was picturing small. It doesn't seem to be about money either because he seems like he's content with his life, but he doesn't have very much. They open up with his place, which is not where they lived in Rocky V. He or they moved since. But his van is sitting out front. He doesn't even have a driveway or a garage, and neither do I. <laughs> when Bev and I were looking for houses, we had three things we really wanted. We wanted a open concept kitchen, living room dining room didn't get it we wanted parking definitely a driveway hopefully a garage didn't get it forget the third one but <laughs> i think in a lot of ways the parking thing i just thought was a given and we're parking on the street right in front of the house so he's got that also he's up at 5 a.m now maybe only because they're doing the tour that day i don't think he's up at 5 a.m every day because oh, at the restaurant right. he would be there till closing maybe they close at a normal time for a restaurant which might be nine or ten this isn't the place people pound back beers until one or two in the morning and maybe he doesn't stay that late anyway but if he stays till nine or ten is up at five every day he's not getting much sleep for an older guy it's maybe just yeah. because they're going on the tour that day but i like the touch where he puts out birdseed but also then a bunch of jujubes or candy yeah, for birds you. do birds want candy are you hurting them maybe rocky <laughs> but that's a rocky touch and this might just be editing it might be funny sequencing to me but he gets up he throws out the birdseed chucks the jujubes and then he walks into the backyard why are you whipping out the window you're walking out the backyard anyway yeah, right, just like yeah. lay it down right, a little sure. bit. i thought this was a nice touch too right he like, can barely do the pull-ups he does anymore. the pull-ups and he's not doing them too well and then of course later in the training montage he's banging them out yeah yeah He's not living in poverty. He's, mm -hmm. he's living a perfectly... He buys a lot life. of food when he goes around to buy it for the restaurant that day, yeah. too. So, obviously, it's his restaurant, so I guess it's his money. But he's got a lot of cash on hand to buy this stuff. That's right. I didn't really think that much about the tour, but you're probably right. Maybe he's a little earlier for that. I thought this was market day for the restaurant when he's going around getting like, all the produce for the week. Oh, he's yeah, buying, or maybe they don't buy it every day. That's probably true. We wouldn't buy produce every day, especially not for a restaurant like that. I figured he's up early. He's going to all the markets to source produce and stuff. And I was always interested with... What kind of restaurant is Adrian's? And Mexicans are making the food, apparently, but it's Italian food. I love that touch because I think if you go to basically any high-end restaurant kitchen in Toronto, and we have a lot of great restaurants in we Toronto, really do. something like 70% of the kitchen staff, cooks, and maybe not the head chefs, but a lot of the staff in there are going to be Sri Lankan. Oh, really? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're going to Italian restaurants. 
or anything else. And I think the same is likely true. Maybe different ethnicities, depending on what city you're talking about. But just because you're in a particular style of restaurant, don't expect that the kitchen staff (laughs) are going to be from that place, right? Nor do you have to be. You can be a perfectly capable cook and just like a region's cooking. You don't have to be from that region, right? Also, you're following orders. I'm guessing that at least some of the dishes at the beginning of this restaurant, if not still, because I guess if the time frame is 2006, it's been 11 years since this restaurant opened, mm-hmm. established 1995 on the sign, that at least some of the recipes are Adrian's recipes. He says to Tommy in Rocky Five about how my wife's a pretty good cook, a little heavy on the garlic. <laughs> but apparently she's a good Italian cook. It's a fun touch when he goes down to the kitchen of the Italian restaurant and goes, Hey, Jose, can you cook up something special for my kid who's coming yeah. to dinner tonight? <laughs> yeah, what no exactly problem, do you Rocky? want? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just make it special. Yeah. And of course, Spider is. He's in the very first shot in the Rocky movies, in the first one, yeah. when Rocky beats him. With that one spotlight, that's the way the very first movie starts. And here he is back again after all those years. It was 30 years later. I don't think we ever saw Pedro Lavelle until this point. And he's in the movie quite a bit. Spider's in four or five scenes, including being part of the posse that went to Vegas, giving a sermon to him backstage. It wasn't until I rewatched the whole Rocky series this past year that I finally... That's where Spider's from in the first movie. It took me this many years. Oh, you didn't years. recognize it. Okay, yeah. I didn't recognize His first it. opponent. Did yeah. you knock that bum out years ago? This is another reason why I wonder about the relative success of this restaurant. It's been open for years and years. He's doing fine. Is it high-end, mid-tier, whatever? I think it's mid-tier, and they're pretty busy, generally speaking. They're pretty busy. They have... Telling his old war stories Tell over you. and over and over. Yeah, and you know that because the table's reciting yeah. back part of the story to him. Yeah, I would if I could. Yeah, which is fun moment. He's clearly got the regulars that come in and still want him to tell them the stories. He's telling a lot of backstory to this restaurant and to Rocky's life in that one moment. But when Rocky walks into the restaurant, there's two valets out front also. Did you know that? That's right, yeah. They seem to be working there. They seem to be working. So parking then? I guess. In this part of Philly, it's an older part of Philly still, but a lot of these buildings, including the one that Adrian's is in and the one that Marie lives in, they're all connected buildings. Did you notice with Marie's, by the way, it looks pretty decent. The outside is pretty decent. But the two places before it gets to the edge of the street and then there's another street there. Burned out. Burned completely. Yeah. Shells. I think on the other side is maybe not burned out, but they look bad too. Her place is the only one that looks remotely good there. These buildings are 100, 120 years old. If I was that old, I'd look broken down too or something like that. But not just broken down. They are husks. But a lot of the buildings that he visits are. The old house of his and Adrian's that they visit looks abandoned. By the way, another nice touch that really sets the scene. And I think he goes to that graveyard a lot, not just that day. I think he's going there quite a bit because, of course, he's there the day that Robert decides he's going to be with you is the chair that's in the tree. I like that a lot. That's how often he goes there. You could say other people use it too when they visit their people in the graveyard, but I'm guessing that he brought that there and that's for him. That's like a real nice little shorthand for he is here all the time. As much as we've seen him on this annual tour with Pauly, maybe that's when Pauly pays his respects and he makes the tour with Rocky. Maybe Rocky goes every single day. I think that's the message we're meant to understand is that this is just part of Rocky's daily routine as he goes to visit Adrian. And I think that is reinforced when he talks to Marie later and when he says Adrian's gone, but she's not really gone. He's still in that relationship, right? Yeah, people use that expression when they're not as dwelling on their past love, their dead love, as he is. The way the movie portrays it is, I want to say, like a healthier interpretation of that. Losing a spouse after that many years, you still feel connected and you want to have a place where you can feel a connection with your deceased spouse. But he doesn't seem like he's stuck on it you know oh i think he's absolutely stuck on almost all these things 
maybe stuck is the wrong word because there's a way to do that where it can stop you from living your life. And as much as Rocky's got that stuff in the basement, he has to... Yeah, he's living a life. That's true. He is still living a life and he's found a way to try to maintain these personal relationships with a lot of people around him. And I think that's an important thing. You can't say he's really running the restaurant. I'm sure someone else... We don't really see. The maitre d'. I love the touch, by the way, that the maitre d' faces away from the door. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But the first one, she's a super fox. But she's pregnant. I don't know if that's yeah. supposed to be the actual actress who was pregnant or if they just made her look that way so they could have her have to leave. So they have to get Marie to do the job. Yeah. Marie already has a job, though, as the bartender. I don't know why she has to work in the restaurant. But it doesn't anyway. seem like a great bar. It's full of mouthy patrons. Well, true. Yeah, not a lot of patrons either. That's true. By the way, speaking of people in that restaurant, when Elsie and Lou show up to make the pitch to fight Mason in an exhibition fight, don't forget that's another important part of this. Yes. I think it's Elsie says to Lou, imagine he fought this guy in his prime. Kill him. Kill him. Yeah. Now, who's the he? Are they saying that if Rocky fought Mason in Rocky's prime, Rocky would kill Mason? Or if Rocky was still in his prime and Mason, who was obviously in his prime, fought, that Mason would kill him? I think that was probably intentional by using the he's rather than the names. Well, look what happened in Rocky Five when the assistant of the Don King guy says, the guy fought wars in the ring. Man, this is your guy talking. Basically, yeah. the guy's saying, this is Rocky Balboa. Both Tommy in Rocky Five and Mason in this movie good champions, maybe even great champions, but they're not Rocky. And I think the managers of the people he fights in both movies are basically saying, Rocky's better than you, or at least was better than you. I'm not sure, though, because of the he thing rather than saying names. I read it the same way you did. Okay. I think it's intentionally ambiguous. The tone is Rocky, loser in Philly, but I don't know that's what they mean. No, I don't think that's what they mean either. I think you're right. I think they have that air about them as the slick boxing promoters in the early 2000s and stuff. They know that Mason Dixon, as great as he might be in the modern era, has never faced the adversity or the fighters that Rocky faced to get to the top of the mountain in his era. So imagine he faced him in his prime, he'd kill him. I think that's just an acknowledgement internally of all of the external narrative that we've heard up until that point, and that Mason Dixon hasn't had to prove himself, and is he truly a worthy champion within the context of the all-time greats, right? Okay, and Martin, the guy that Mason goes to see early on. I think he said Marvin, but I look in the credits, I see Martin, so I guess it's that. You mean Dixon's old, old, old black trainer? Yeah. yeah. Martin says that Mason needs baptism by fire. Well, he sure gets that in the fight. Yeah, that's Which right. is, I think, why at the end, when Mason and Martin, they're both laughing. It's almost like, there, I went through it. I needed to learn how to face this stuff at least once, and I just did. Yeah, I think that's right. And I don't think there's any intention in the screenplay, as I see it anyway, of making... What are the names? Elsie and, and... Lou. And Lou. Lou is Lou DiBella. Lou DiBella is Lou DiBella. Okay. Because it's a real boxing person, too, then, maybe. Yeah, I recognize him from somewhere. But Elsie's played by A.J. Benza. Yeah, that's right. has been acting for a long time. That's right. So when we see them pitching the fight to Mason Dixon, Mason Dixon is saying, nah, nah, nah. And Elsie says, we want this for you, not for us, for the money. It's for mm-hmm. you. And nobody wants to fight you. And all that stuff, I think, is probably very true. They want money long term, but they need him to go through this so they can get the money long term yeah. or more of it than they maybe otherwise will. I think there's absolutely that element. I think there's also a recognition that if you don't do this, nobody else is going to fight you. The sport is just so depleted that we need this for the sport. We need this for you. We want money. And for us to get money, you got to get money. But Rocky was still the man of of iron will and head-to-head. Skill versus will. Do you think, unless they thought the fights were rigged, which I don't think anyone's suggesting they are. You mean Rocky's fights? No, in this movie, Mason, a guy who's 33-0 would get booed for being this good. 
Look at Tyson. Tyson was knocking people out in the first yeah. round, and he became a legend. And Tyson was nowhere near the great fighter that Ali was. Although I think people will say, if you analyze how Tyson fought, if he'd actually really had to face longer rounds, although when he did, he got beat a lot. Yeah. But he became a legend fast. Yes, he was champion. It's not like he was just some flash in the pan. It seems like Mason's doing a lot of the same things as Tyson, and he gets booed. The booing sequence off the top, I struggled with that a little bit too because I find it hard to believe that even a champion that isn't well-loved would be that savagely booed for winning. Yeah, and undefeated as well. Yeah, I think the only reason they include that is to set up the sequence later when the promoters are saying, we can't get you a fight, nobody wants to see you. One of the tricks this movie does pull for me is it makes me feel for Mason Dixon by the end of it. I could have done without the end shot when he's going, oh, what do you mean, split decision? When it ends with him and Rocky hugging it out and Rocky saying, you're a great champion, and Mason Dixon has lost that arrogant veneer and he's reveling in what just happened, that's a heartfelt moment. Then he goes to Martin, the trainer, like you said, and yeah, I went through that baptism by fire. This is all really nice. Split decision victory, great. And it makes me feel for him as a character even in beating rocky i feel good for mason while also feeling great for rocky that's not an easy balance to pull off if you're this type of movie to make the ending feel meaningful and heartfelt and really emotional and yet still have two characters antagonist and protagonist that you're also feeling good about by the end of it it's weird but it works for me yeah okay i'm just gonna open this real quick coke now went through the beer or the sour sour before we get to the fun speech, I do want to talk about more emotion at the very end sure. of the Vegas stuff, not the very end of the movie. And he puts his hands in his head and everyone's cheering. And as I said to you, apparently that was legitimate. So then he shakes hands as he goes off and he reaches up and he grasps one last hand and then it freezes on that, whites out basically. Then he goes to the graveyard with, yo, Adrian, we did it. And he walks off. We'll get back to that part in a second. I've always thought, whether it was intentional or not, that that last handshake could have been Talia Shire. The actress showed up that one day. I don't think it was. In fact, mm. I know it wasn't. But that would have been a great touch. It's almost like the last handshake, because they do go to the gravestone. The very next scene is her. And apparently he met with her, and she agreed. It may have been her idea to say, maybe my character has to be dead for this to work. So he didn't write her out. From what I read, she wrote herself out. And she did apparently support him around the time this was being promoted and said, I wish him well, and I'm on the movie, and I didn't expect to be in the movie. Okay. But the other part I like so much at the very end, the very last part, well, I guess the very end would be all the people. I like that sequence a lot, too. I watched the whole thing. I actually watched all the credits. I was typing up my notes and tidying them up and oh, all that kind of thing. But when everybody's running, running up on the steps at the very end of that, they're all jumping up and down. I think Stallone's wife at the time, maybe still his wife, Jennifer Flavin, is one of the people that does that. Not really? And then you see the very last shot before they go to the actual end credits is Stallone just looking out over the city. And apparently he didn't know they filmed him. He was just thinking about a shot at that point. Because, of course, he does run up there with the dog, which is a callback to the first movie. He wanted to run up with Butkus, the great big dog in the first movie, but he couldn't carry him to do that. And <laughs> then would have right? run that scene. You know, Butkus is a nice little dog and everything, but he didn't need to be in that scene. Also, by the way, the turtles are the turtles from the first movie. They're Cuff and Link. I think he still has them now. Wow. They live that long. But anyway, the whole thing with you, Adrian, we did it. And he walks off. He fades out. In movie parlance, that means he died. And even though I love Creed 1 and I like a lot of Creed 2, it almost seems like they shouldn't have had him come back at all because they're saying he died. He had a peaceful ending to his life. Eh, Although he gets okay. the cancer in Creed and she had the woman cancer. She had the woman cancer. And he yeah. is fabulous in Creed, so I shouldn't say I don't want to see him in that movie. And I do like the yeah. end of Creed too, when he goes and he finds Robert. We didn't understand why they were distant after what happens in this movie. They're so close again. Yeah, that makes But no I sense. do like the touch at the end with, I was in the neighborhood. And he almost cries when they hug. I do like the ending of that movie a lot, Creed too. 
it's touching. I wish there was an explanation for why they're distant. Why they're distant again after reconciling in Rocky Balboa. Right. The arm, I think it would have been a really nice touch because we see him picturing Adrian at least once, and I think maybe twice when he's talking about her. If he reached up, even if you can kind of do like a ghostly effect, he grabs somebody's hand and then we get Adrian superimposed on them. So he's seeing her. And it does go white before it goes to the very last shot. Well, I guess the very last shot again is them on the steps, but him at the graveyard with the last proper scene in the film. You could argue that's because it went white. That's her ghost. For me, I always wanted the movie to end on that shot, the white hand grabbing him. That's, if not Adrian specifically, that's just him celebratorily grabbing hands with all the people who have been important to him in his life. Mick, Adrian, all of them. Apollo. Apollo, yeah, exactly. You probably had to end it with the Yo Adrian, we did it because she's just been the driving force behind his character through the entire series. So to end it any other way would probably have been a little bit of a disservice, but I could have lived with the freeze frame on the hand shot. It also calls back some of the other shots to end some of the other movies, like the two gloves. A freeze frame, right. freeze frame, right? In terms of Rocky dying when he walks away, I never read it that way. I don't think In I would. In film language, that's what that means, though. Yeah, I know that's true. I just don't think I would have liked that if that was what the film wanted you to think. Okay. The whole message with this movie is for Rocky to finally unburden the last remnants of whatever it is that he feels like he's carrying around that is unfulfilled so that he can truly live out the rest of his days content. And for him to just do that and then die feels a little bit... Like, well, I don't mean next year. I'm talking 20 years down the road. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or even more than that, maybe. I thought you meant he says, Yo, Adrian, we did, walks away and has a heart attack. On, no, I don't in, mean in, the in that scene. I'm just talking that eventually he dies. Oh, oh, it's okay. like the end of The Godfather Part 3, where Michael outlives everybody that mattered to him, and he's an old man. I he see, lives I see, fairly yeah. peacefully for somebody that did all the things he did. His brothers died violently when they were young. Sure, yeah, okay. that makes more sense. So I guess we covered all the actors. Obviously, Stallone and Young were in the first six Rocky flicks, and then Sly did the two sequels. He didn't appear in Creed 3, I can tell you that, because I did see it a few months ago. Very acrimoniously did not appear in Creed 3. It's weird, because he had a better ending at the end, going to finally be with his son in Creed 2. I didn't have a problem with him not being He didn't need to be in the movie. So he wrote and directed this. He wrote all six Rockies, and then I think he had at least story credit or something like that on maybe the first two Creed. I think so, yes. And I think he's a producer on this most recent one. He directed four of them, including this one. Bill Conti was the composer, although most of the music is from the very first or yeah. even the first two movies. And then Chartoff and Winkler were the producers along with their sons. They produced all the films. Oh, we didn't talk about the let's build some hurting bombs. Yep. Tony Burton just sinks his teeth into this. It's moment. great. To meet this guy, we need speed. You don't, you have, don't have it. <laughs> you got arthritis in most of your joints, so hard running is out. Mm. You got calcium buildup on your knuckles, so mm. sparring is out. I had that problem. Yeah, I had that problem. Ooh. That's a good look from Stallone, too. Yeah. So what we're going to rely on is brute force. Blunt force trauma. trauma. Cast down hurting bombs that'll hurt him so much after have to rattle his ancestors. ancestors yeah. Which somebody says when the announcer says during the fight. His That's ancestors right. felt that one. Yeah, exactly. Which they wouldn't know was said in this gym, I don't think. And then, yeah, of course, he closes out with, let's start building some hurting bombs. And it isn't as good as the music when it's used in the first, I guess, three movies, but it's close. It's, when it goes to that dan, 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 yeah. dan part. Damn, it works. And what I love about it so much is it is different. He says all these things that Rocky can't do anymore. And mm-hmm. I kind of touched on this earlier when I talked about Stallone's physical transformation, right? The earlier Rockies, Mick, we're going to make you a greasy, fast Italian tank, right? He's chasing chickens and he's skipping rope and stuff. And then, of course, Apollo's 
getting him to swim and run on the beach and stuff. And he has speed back then. And he has speed. And then, of course, he's doing mountain training with Polly and Rocky IV. And but, screaming someone's name. <laughs> like, oh! But in this one, it's all brute force, right? So it's so cool to watch Stallone do pull-ups with heavy chains around his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I love the beer keg slams that yeah. he does. What's the point of that, exactly? He has sledgehammers that he's hitting giant tires with. If you're doing any kind of exercise and training, there's different methods you can use, right? And if you're just doing bodybuilding, that's one type of training. If you're doing speed, that's another. But if you're doing, I want maximum muscle Does it incorporate all the muscles? Kind of, but it's also the way you use them, right? So you're not doing like a ton of repetitions necessarily. You might do a few really heavy or you might do explosive movements. So if he's using the sledgehammer or he's taking a heavy steel keg and he's slamming it down, it's to develop that muscle output, right? that explosive movement. Maybe the keg thing is nonsense. It's just done for film, but that's the way I read it. But anyway, when he's slamming the keg down and you just get the backdrop of Duke kind of yelling, but not very loud. You hear him say, get it stronger. Yeah, get it stronger. (laughs) It's so good. He's singing the lyrics. (laughs) I love it. It's fantastic. It should be super corny. It's almost like... It is super corny. I know that. But I still enjoy it. But I enjoy it. And I almost got emotional this time, especially by the end of it when he's carrying Punchy up the steps. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's the callback moment. But even just seeing... Stallone go through the Rocky montage and it being done so well and they do incorporate Robert and Steps and Polly in a kind of fun ways along the way too. I don't know if they necessarily had to have him go in and beat up on some beef again but okay it's a callback <laughs> I get it but I watched a video a while back with a professional boxer that was talking about Rocky's training regimen from Rocky right mm-hmm. not from or I guess it's throughout the series and he commented on the beating the side of beef there's a lot of stuff that he really loved in all of Rocky's training montages through the movies. He's like, yeah, that's legit training. That makes a lot of sense. That stuff, he hated. It looks cool and stuff, but all it takes is one bone where you didn't expect there to be oh, a bone, yeah. and you break your hand, and then what are you going to do? And I know the implication is Rocky's knuckles are getting so hard and callous and stuff that they're almost impervious to the damage. It's still just the bloody, visceral image yeah. of him beating up on the Also, Rocky. in that first movie, Pauly said something that antagonized him, so he was like... I'm not going to hit you, but watch me hit this thing. Speaking of viscerally emotional moments and giving Burt Young a little bit of credit, I guess it's not really his scene, but he plays it well. When Rocky first goes to Paulie and says, think about I want to fight again mm-hmm. and all that, and then that's where Paulie says, you stay someplace long enough, you become that place, which is why his layoff later is a little bit gut-wrenching, right? Because he said, this is all I got. And he says, I can't train with you. But then he asks Rocky, are you mad because... Took your statue down? No. no. Not really, no. He's at least disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. And then he asks, are you mad because Adrian left you? Stallone's performance at that moment. He's great in that scene. It's so good because he turns on a dime with anger. He almost starts weeping, yeah. And crying, yeah. She didn't leave me. She died. Yeah. He barely gets up the word. Oh, that's Mm. well done. Yeah. Depiction of the sport. I can't take the final fight seriously, which I guess is true of most Rocky movies, especially when it comes to Rock'em Sock'em. Yeah. But it's a Rocky movie, so I do buy into the emotion of the fight. It's Rocky. I cut it a lot of slack. What about you? I'm a little bit more forgiving about the Rock'em Sock'em stuff, largely because in my head, I chalk it up to everything that came before with Mason Dixon not taking the fight seriously. And so he's not in shape. He's choosing not to really defend. He's just rope-a-doping Rocky and stuff. So, you know, when it breaks down and devolves into some of that flailing, punching stuff, yeah, it's not accurate or anything like that. But it's the emotion and the nostalgia that means more than anything. Rocky 1, 2, 3, and 4, I like all of the boxing in that more than I like the boxing in this. Me but too. It, for me, it's all the other stuff in Rocky Balboa that helps it shine, yeah. all the emotion. Including right after the fight. Exactly. 
And I really like the fact that they have them not wear the star-spangled banner trunks again. Right. The only time in any of the movies that they, they weren't worn. Creed wears a different version of the same basic thing. It says yeah. Creed and Johnson in, his, in the first right. movie, anyway, first it's, Creed. It's a variation on yeah. it. He gave those to Tommy, obviously, but you could have very easily made the argument right. that he reclaimed them for this fight. But I think that would have been a mistake. He ceded that look to somebody else, and now mm-hmm. he's just fighting in... I think it's the same colors he wore in Rocky Three before he got the Star Spangled Stripes right, from yeah. Apollo. Because he wore red and white in the first movie, at least. Maybe the second one. And by the third one, he was in the gold stuff. There's a lot of fun little touches around the fight. Like Paulie saying, I can make some money off this fight. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, do that. and it's got, was it Golden Palace or something? Which is also a fun callback because... He got the robes in the first movie. Or the yeah. robe in the first movie. <laughs> which was, is way too big. Way too big. And it had a real cheesy sponsor. And then by the second movie, he says, what do you think? Better than whatever the sponsor was from the first movie. I think it was movie. Shamrock Meats, where he worked and then eventually Rocky worked. I think you're right. As for can you score? Well, we said this already. No, it's a Rocky movie. No. I do like the burgeoning, whatever it is, friendship or pseudo-relationship with him and Geraldine Hughes as the new Adrian. Adrian, too. As for a score, it's not worth a 10 out of 10, but I'm going to give it a 10 anyway. The movie's very satisfying. (laughs) My eyes rained, or at least got close to raining, more than once. So let's go out on a great note. 10 out of 10. (laughs) Objectively, you're right. It's not a 10 out of 10, but from an emotional impact on me perspective, I think these days it is a 10 out of 10. We've never given anything a 10 ever. (laughs) Let's end with one now. What would you give it if we were not being nostalgic? (laughs) At least a seven, maybe a seven and a half. I would go higher than maybe that. Maybe an eight. I would go like eight, eight and a half. I think this movie looks good. I think the sound and music choices were great. They're at the right level of nostalgia. Not going to win any awards, I don't think, for cinematography, editing, sound, or any of that, but I think they're all great. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the performances are great, and the emotional impact is huge on me. I don't know how I could go lower than eight and a half, maybe even a nine, if you catch me on the right day. Okay, fair. But we're saying ten anyway. We're saying ten anyway. It doesn't matter. It's a great movie. Okay, so that part is over now. Rocky Balboa, the review is over. I would have signed off here, but we're going to do a little bit of numbers and such to wrap up the entire podcast, 131 episodes. The most movies we covered in a single year was eight. That was in 2000, followed by six a couple of times in the 90s, 1994 and oh, 1996. You mean release in year? In one year, the one they released. Oh, I see, I see. 2000 and the 90s twice with six apiece. And there were years where we did five or four or so on. Sure. The newest movie we covered was Hustle in 2022, and a good one. We recommended it. We still do. And the oldest was the original Angels in the Outfield in 1951. Although I reviewed the 1925 version of The Freshman, the Harold Lloyd movie, by myself last year. So that was the actual oldest movie you can find on this channel. But for you and I, it would be Angels in the Outfield. And we started, I think it was the second episode, was the remake of Angels in the Outfield. It was. That's right. Well, speaking about baseball, we talked about 21 baseball films. That was the sport we discussed the most often. And I guess it's really 22 if you include basketball. (laughs) But I have a section and I for... Do. We have eight or ten specialty movies. Running Man is in there. Basketball I put in there because I couldn't say it was a basketball or baseball. Sure. Probably more basketball. Anyway, football was next with 19. We did the same number of basketball and boxing movies with 14 apiece. Speaking of boxing, since we reviewed six films in the Rocky and Creed series, that one franchise represented nearly 5% of our total. Our <laughs> <laughs> total. 5% just on Rocky. So by that logic, then, Kevin Costner also represents... We did seven Coster Six. Coster appeared six. We'll get to that, but yes. Okay. We covered as many car racing movies as we did hockey movies with seven each. We reviewed six documentaries. We didn't neglect the women. Bend It Like Beckham, Love and Basketball, Bruised, and Girl Fight were four examples of lady-centric sports pictures. They all starred women and were also directed by women. And there are other movies that were oh. with women in them or directing them or what have you. Catherine Bigelow did Point Break, but that is not a woman-centric movie. Speaking of directors, we covered films made by major directors such as Darren Aronofsky, Ron Howard, Spike Lee, Michael Mann, Robert Redford, Martin Scorsese, Steven Soderbergh, and Oliver Stone. 
Clint Eastwood came up a few different times, and we reviewed several movies by Ron Shelton and Tony Scott. Yeah, we did. We talked about a lot of big-time actors, of course, these past five years. Ben Affleck, Christian Bale, Halle Berry, Jeff Bridges, Ellen Burstyn, John Candy, Jim Carrey, Daniel Craig, Russell Crowe, Tom Cruise, Robert De Niro, Robert Duvall, Harrison Ford, Morgan Freeman, Gene Hackman, Hugh Jackman, Samuel L. Jackson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, James Earl Jones, Tommy Lee Jones, Nicole Kidman, Bruce Lee, Janet Lee, Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, Bill Murray, Paul Newman, Al Pacino, Brad Pitt, Burt Reynolds, Kurt Russell, Arnold, Will Smith, Denzel Washington, and Bruce Willis. But the actors who got mentioned the most often on scoring the movies were Jim Brown, the football player. R.I.P. I think I forgot Bill Murray did four of these, by the way. These guys I'm going to mention all did four. But Jim Brown, did he die? He did. Oh, okay. So Just a know. few days That's ago. That's right. It was recent, wasn't it? Yeah. Matt Damon, Dennis Haysbert. He and Jim Brown were all in supporting roles, though. Sure. Dennis Quaid, Keanu Reeves, Adam Sandler, Charlie Sheen, and Wesley Snipes. They were all in four sports films. We did four Keanus? Point Break, break. Hardball, Replacements, and something else. What oh, Youngblood. That's right. Young he's blood. briefly in Youngblood. Yes. Which was, that is the French-Canadian. Yeah, he's the goalie. <laughs> has maybe two lines. Right, that right. So they're all in four. Kevin Costner was in six, so he came up the second most often. But fittingly, with the review today, Sylvester Stallone is the champ. We got into Sly's business seven times by reviewing Over the Top, Get Your Son Back, Chris. Put him over the top, get your son back. <laughs> and five Rocky flicks and one Creed. We didn't even get into his car racing movie, Driven, his That's soccer great. movie, Victory, or the other boxing movie you said earlier, Grudge Match with De Niro. I should have done the easy math that Stallone was peak of the mountain for our podcast as of Rocky Balboa, but in my head, it was always Costner. We did Over the Top fairly recently and Rocky Five fairly recently, so that's right? three in the last maybe six or eight months. The Rockies blur together as a singular franchise, so if I'm just trying to do a mental math of how many different roles I've seen somebody in, it's a little bit harder to distinguish Stallone, but you're absolutely right. It's kind of fitting that he would finish up at the top of the podium, given the mm. way we've wrapped everything up here with Rocky Balboa. Well, Stallone is one of the great sports movie actors of all time, one of the great athletes of all time, I think, mostly for the boxing. But like I said, a soccer movie, car racing movie. And I would never have thought, by the way, that we would cover people like that. I would have probably thought, okay, I know that Scorsese did a pool movie being Color of Money, and that's how Newman got into this, although Newman's also in Slapshot. Yep. But we covered some legends. One of the things you recognize doing something focused on sports is how many of these actors can or cannot realistically and believably portray athleticism. Like yeah. you just talked about Stallone being a great athlete and you kind of expect that when you see Costa his physique. Costa is, Charlie Sheen is. Exactly. Two guys that are reasonably in shape, but we commented on this with the last movie we did for Love of the Game. Costner looks like he's in fine shape, but he's in dad bod shape by this point. By that point, yeah. But you see him portraying a sport and he does it believably. Charlie Sheen does it. Wesley Snipes may not be a good athlete, but he looks like he is. He looks like he is, and it took some pretty interesting cutting around him to do With it. Hitting in baseball and apparently shooting in basketball. That's right. And we've definitely watched plenty of movies, especially baseball movies, which to me is really interesting because you would think it shouldn't be that hard to get somebody to believably throw a ball. I don't mean pitch. I don't mean throw a football with a tight spiral. I mean just throw a baseball, believably, or swing a bat in a way that looks like you know how to transfer weight a little bit, but they can't do it. John C. Riley looked terrible. Snipes looked really bad in the fan. Yeah. This might be a little bit easier because I think a lot of these guys actually did play golf. Bill Murray, for instance, looking like they have a natural golf swing, and that's fun to see. And maybe a lot of people say, well, that's not athleticism. It kind of is. If you want it to look natural, you might not be ripped, but you have to know how to move your body, right? Da -da. <laughs> we didn't love the natural, but you made me think of it when you said that. Well, at least Redford looks like he's playing the game, He does, right? yeah. And like, then Damon in the golf movie, and certainly the other two guys look like they can golf in The Legend of Bagger Vance. That's right, Bruce yeah. Bruce McGill and I forget the other guy. So that's it. 
Scoring at the movies will turn off the mic for good and toddle off into the sunset. Although you should be able to go back and listen to our episodes forever, I think. I've seen podcasts that seem like they just expired many years ago and they're still there. Looking up a new name, we tried to find names for, Bev and I did, for Have You Ever Seen? And I would look up names and here's a podcast. Oh, they've already got the name, I think. But they haven't done it in three years. So I guess our podcast will be up forever. Plus, my other podcast, Have You Ever Seen? isn't going anywhere. So go be a subscriber on that channel if you like what I have to say and don't want this rambling to end. This fast-talking rambling. Anyway, Chris, your last thoughts on the last episode. The original mission statement or the original pitch I posed to you was, let's watch some old sports movies specifically because it felt like a niche. We were both guys that really dug at least the minutia and the stats of sports, even if we don't watch them every day. There's a lot of movies I remember from my youth that were sport-related, right? And I think a lot of that might have to do with the Mighty Ducks of the world, mm-hmm. the Karate Kids of the world. They're just so iconic. Two of the first two we covered as well. Yeah, of course. But that also applies to Angels in the Outfield, number two on our list. Go down the list of all the 80s and early 90s movies that I would have been exposed to. And, of course, we went back further than that to the 70s and earlier, as you Not already talked often, about. Not too often, but sometimes. Occasionally. And we went much more recent as the pool of old movies dried up a little bit. But that was the original thought. Let's look at the old things and see how my impression of them evolved. And we began this five years ago, so I was in my late 30s. Middle-aged man, effectively watching sometimes kids' movies. you got to expect your impression is going to be different. It's been interesting for me to think back on what movies held up in terms of my own recollections and which ones are like, whoa, well, you were way off, Chris, or I can never watch that again, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's fairly obvious I would have expected Field of Dreams to hold up. I would have expected did. and hoped, at least, that the major leagues of the world's held up. It did. Karate Kid, of course, holds up. Mighty Ducks, if you accept it's a kid's movie, kind of held up. Mm-hmm. But some of the ones that I was expecting just say, this is a bit of a slam dunk, yeah, I'm still going to like this movie, did not. Rudy, Caddyshack. Rookie of the Year might be the most egregious example because I think I said when I was young, I remember really liking that movie and it to me is almost unwatchable. I got mad watching it. It's so bad. Yeah. And part of that is the sport pedant I became, but I just think it's a lazily written movie ultimately. It's definitely changed the way that I've been watching media generally since then. I watched a ton of movies in my late teens and through my 20s. I went to the theater a ton But I always just watched movies, TV, whatever, just absorbed the totality of it, say, right? Did I enjoy it? Did I not? And I think that's perfectly fine. This change in my viewing habits has been a little bit of a double-edged sword, to be honest with you, because I would never consider screenwriting or sound or cinematography or editing. But now I'm aware of that. Chariots of Fire, where the sound cues and the music cues and the emotional beats I felt were put on the wrong character almost. You're an analyst now. Unwittingly. You're a film critic. I think that's a little bit of a double-edged sword from the way I watch things now, because one thing I've taken away from you in doing this is there's certainly movies where I came at it and I just thought, well, that's crap. Over the course of our discussion of it, you've convinced me, I know there's redeeming elements to these things, right? Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is some things that I used to watch, and I'm talking not just sports movies now, that I'd watch and just come away thinking, I enjoyed that. Now I'll watch it and say, you know, I mostly enjoyed that, but you know, that element of it was really off. The sound cues or the editing stunk. I never would have thought I'd watch stuff that way, but I kind of do now. Or even if you liked it, why did you like it? Exactly. And if you don't like it, why didn't you like it? Yeah. You have to go back to our discussions around things like the original Longest Yard for this to be the first thing. And this is another interesting element of this whole project to me is recognizing how certain tropes age well and certain tropes age not so well. And how sometimes 
having a well-constructed, well-directed, well-acted, and well-written narrative around a comedy can save a movie because neither one of us thought The Longest Yard was a funny movie as something that was best comedy or nominated for greatest comedy. But I think we have also both agreed that there was enough going on there from a narrative standpoint, from an editing standpoint, from just the storytelling standpoint, that it's still a good movie, even if you're not laughing at it. Mm. Compared to Caddyshack. If you're not laughing at Caddyshack, then there's really nothing to redeem that movie mm-hmm. for you, right? So the experiment has been exactly what I was hoping it would be in discussing these movies. It grew in scope, and the way it affected my viewing of movies certainly grew in scope as a result. So it's been a real interesting experiment. That's good. Like I said off the top, I think if it were exactly what I expected it to be, it would have been boring. If all of these movies were exactly what I expected them to be, our discussions would have been boring for the both of us. Never Loved mind it. anyone trying to listen. Yeah. What do you think? No, it's great. Although I think the Field of Dreams podcast, for example, one of our favorite movies, period, was a pretty good one because I think it's almost an hour. But there's a lot of stuff in that. Yeah. So we weren't being critical. We're just saying, here's something that means this. And we talked about the emotion. We talked about how whenever the time comes that we lose our dad or parents, but especially our dad, mm-hmm. how is that movie going to feel then? I might be sitting there just in a puddle. That's the other thing I think we recognize doing this. Or losing like, the wives after Rocky Balboa. Oh watching gosh. this after losing, if we outlive our wives. That's not going to happen. Allison is a much healthier person than I am. Okay. The movies that were most interesting from my perspective to talk about were the ones that we either mostly disagreed about in our interpretations of it, or the ones that were legitimately great movies with a lot of talking points that we made have both love, but there was a lot of meat on that bone. Mm-hmm. The ones that were a lot harder to talk about in an interesting way were the ones we both agree that was mostly all right. Which is what we've been doing a lot lately. <laughs> yeah. We're spinning our wheels. That's right. So it's great to go out on a note that's as high as Rocky Balboa for sure, because we mm-hmm. were really in that murky middle ground. It's interesting to think which movies really would be the top of my mountain. I still think the Rocky movies are at the top tier of sport dumb for me. Of course, Field of Dreams is up there. And I could probably cite seven or eight great movies and I'd have a hard time shuffling them into any particular order within those eight to 10 top movies. We did it after the 50th episode. We did the favorite movies we'd covered at that point. So that was 81 podcasts ago. I had some of those in there. Field of Dreams, The Wrestler, Friday Night Lights, Hoosiers. I think I'd still put at least those four in my top five that yeah. we covered. Because Bull Durham for me had been there too, but you and I didn't cover it. That's right. And that's part of the reason why I didn't suggest for our final episode we do any kind of personal top tens is because A, we did it for our 50th, and B, my list hasn't really changed that much. I think Rocky Balboa for me probably goes up there, or maybe just the Rocky franchise as a whole goes up there now. But otherwise, I'm right there with you, right? The Field of Dreams, The Wrestler, all that kind of stuff. So... Thank you to everyone listening to this. Of course, course, thank you, Ryan, for doing it with me for these five years, because Mm -hmm. it's been an adventure for sure. We're still going to be friends, though. Oh, I don't know. I'm cutting off all communication as soon as we end this podcast, at least until tomorrow. It's going to be awkward on the softball field. (laughs) When we carpool to the softball game tomorrow. Three times in five days in our two teams, so a silent car ride. That's right. All right, well, you can tweet us. I'm at moviefiend51, and Chris is at scoringatmovies. The email address is scoringatthemovies at gmail.com, and I guess we'll continue having that. So if it's 2026 and somebody hears this podcast and wants to comment to us, then either tweet us or send an email and or go to my other podcast and get the information. You can always talk to me. I can pass it on to Chris. This stuff should be online forever. So thanks to everyone who ever spent even a few minutes listening to us yap about sports movies. Thanks to our wives for putting up with us doing this. Thanks to the makers of Bedazzled and Bull Durham for not getting on us, for using the vocal stylings of Brendan Fraser and Kevin Costner on our opening theme. For those who didn't know, the cliches are Brendan Fraser in Bedazzled and Kevin Costner, of course, with the, you got to learn your cliches that he says to Tim Robbins. And thanks to Chris. If you like what we accomplished in these five years, thank him. This podcast was his idea. So the last line I'll say in this podcast, the last few lines, yo, Chris, we did it.
Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you down the road. Take it easy.